Well, thanks for that great worship, and um, it's so good to be back. We spent last week at Johnny and Friends Camp, uh, Camp Castaway, and had an uh, um, unbelievable time ministering Wendy and I to um, families with persons with disabilities. And what an incredible need there is for encouragement and community. And so we're looking forward to doing more with that and doing more with that at our church as well. And really at Johnny and Friends, we saw real Christianity taking place, real acceptance. And the, the real nature of the early church was about loving each other, about taking care of each other. And that stood out. And it was completely different because they were chasing something more. They were chasing after this goal of being like Christ, of living out the Christian life. They were chasing after the dream of reaching souls. It was all brand new to them. But they were really excited. And their lifestyle was raised above culture. And everybody noticed and came flocking to them. And so this morning, we're going to examine how that relates to us in community. We're going to talk about the American church, Ridgewood Church, and individual lives. How do we do this? But I can, I can tell you, and I can encourage you this morning by letting you know that we can reach the lost. We can nurture our own. We can help the hurting. But it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we submit ourselves to Him, we can live a lifestyle that is raised above the world. We can do this together as a team. And I want you to leave encouraged that you are a part of the team and challenged that God is calling you to be with us on this journey. So let's take a look at the text. You see it there on the screen, Acts 2, 44 through 45, page 911. If you want to grab that Bible that's in the, the rack in front of you. And we're just a week away now from finishing the short series in community. And we're going to, starting on the 17th of September, we're going to begin a series on the life of Joseph. And we're going to talk about, but God meant it for good. God means things in your life for good. God is sovereign. God is good. But here in this incredible passage, these two verses, we see that the believers in the early church, they lived with an assurance of another world. They lived with zeal. They lived with passion. They lived above normal earthly standards. So, by the thousands in just a few days, people were flocking to them because they saw something unusual, something out of the box that they were offering. And we're going to see what that is today. And so, this is Acts 2, 44 through 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Two short verses, an incredible amount of truth, and a glimpse into what it was like to be in the early church as it was being formed. Now, so far in this mini-series on community, we've discovered that the early church sat under the teaching of the apostles. They were concerned about the apostles' doctrine. They understood that these guys had been with Christ, that they were writing Scripture, and they sat under their teaching. We see, too, that the early church fellowshiped together. They broke bread together. They had communion together. They were there together. And then we also have discovered that they prayed like crazy. 
And so as we look at them now, we're going to see different elements emerge. And as we look at this and how it relates to us, we can see that there is a way to live above cultural standards. There is a way to live even above church standards. A life raised above the world. And here's the first thing we see in the early church. The early church shared everything. The early church shared all of their goods. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So this glimpse of the church is literally a glimpse of heaven. Because you look at the timeline and all of this was just starting to be. And it was it must have been a beautiful thing to be a part of this community. But one thing I do want to point out, because I know what some of you are thinking already, this is not communism. This isn't the equal distribution of wealth. What this is are people that were buying, selling. Some had more than others, but everybody was sold out. Everybody was using what God had given them for the good of the community to further the kingdom. It was a willful, generous, sincere spirit that emanated from the early church. One of the ways we know this was happening is the sad story of Ananias and Sapphira. You know this historical record from Acts 5. They each came at separate times to report how much they sold their property for to give to the church. They lied and they were struck dead. Don't ever lie in the church. And so, what do we see there? We see that they were buying, they were selling, they were giving out of a willful spirit. This is how the early church operated. And we see the Apostle Paul write about this in 2 Corinthians. For I do not mean that others should be eased and that you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so Paul was concerned, even as the church was being formed, that they were in community together and they were watching out for each other. This is generosity. And and here's the thing that I, I see happening in the early church, is they were giving up their rights. To be a part of this community. And when we sign up to be a follower of Jesus, we are saying, I give myself completely to you, Jesus. I don't have any more rights that I can stand on. Now I'm submitted to you. So whatever you want to do with me, now I'm yours. And that scares people because it's frightening to put ourselves in in the hands of one like that. And I know there are people that are afraid to pray prayers, you know, like, God, do whatever that you want with me, because you're afraid that he might. But I would encourage you to pray a prayer of submission every day. Because as you pray a prayer of submission, you will be flooded with this idea of being in community, and God will help you. And it'll help us take the next step, too. They shared everything. Here's the second thing we see in in this passage. The early church took care of its own. The early church took care of its own. And so they shared everything, and they were intentionally watching out for each other. In verse 44, we're talking about unity and commonality. 
But in verse 45, it's the intentional use of the wealth. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was an intentional effort to minister to people within their community that needed it. Now, I have no doubt at all, and I'm really thrilled that the church, Big C, around the world is becoming very much oriented to social justice. And there was a time, if you look at church history, back in the 60s, when all of the, well, I guess it's kind of like today, all of the rioting and the, the movement, Martin Luther King and so forth, that in some churches the social gospel became the gospel. And social justice overtook the Bible. And so the evangelical church reeled and recoiled in defense, saying, no, we're not going to go down that road. We're going to, we're going to hold on to our doctrine. That's not, that's not the gospel. But now, here we are in the post-Christian era. And it is, make no mistake about it, it is a post-Christian era. The kids that are coming up, the millennials, the, the, the amount of people who have no affiliation whatsoever is growing quickly. In the, non, in the post-Christian era, the church now is again paying attention to what it means to help people in the name of Jesus so that we can reflect him to the world. You know, there's things like clean water, uh, helping with poverty. There's, there'll be relief efforts going on in Houston and in Texas to help with the flooding. These are all really, really important because they reflect Jesus to the world. But in this particular context, what, what Luke is telling us is that they were taking care of their own within the community. It wasn't some outside enterprise. You know, you come and, 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 and we'll do your thing. No, it was what's happening around me? Who needs help? Who is hurting? Who is suffering? There was a community-wide Nurturing of those that needed help. No wonder people came to know Christ like crazy. Where else do you see that? Especially in that transition from Judaism to Christianity, that the Pharisees didn't do this. The Pharisees kept everything to themselves. Not the Christians. The Christians were giving everything away. And this literally was a a glimpse of heaven. They were preparing for heaven. This is paradise on earth. And it wasn't until Acts 6 that we start to see the encroachment of tension and, and, and worldliness into the church where they started to struggle with each other. But they were literally preparing for Jesus to come back. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. And so this early church, they raised their behavior above anything culture had seen before. They shared with each other. They took care of their own. But not only that, but we're going to see here that what's important to understand is this. Early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have to understand as we move forward as a church, as we move forward as individuals, that we will be able to do nothing, nothing, without the power of God. There's nothing good that's going to happen here unless we are submitted to the lordship and power of Jesus Christ. And at that time, the Holy Spirit will come roaring through and amazing things can happen. 
But it takes prayer, it takes humility, and it takes submission. It takes that idea of community to another level, raised above the world, raised above most churches. Sometimes we look at growing churches and we're always kind of suspicious. What are they doing there? Why are they growing? This is a true story. When we planned our church, the village church was growing like crazy. Mark called me up and he goes, Paul, there's a rumor going around. What's that, Mark? There's a rumor that we're paying people to come to church. What do I do? I said, what? Paying people to come to church? You won't even pay for a coffee when we're together. Because people are suspicious. You know what's happening in churches like that, largely? And, and there are exceptions to the rule. But largely, they're actually reaching people for Christ. That's why they're growing. So maybe instead of being suspicious, we should cheer them on. And what's happening in those churches, largely, and, and again, I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel and, and, and that. I'm talking about churches that are legit gospel-teaching churches that are growing. And by the way, the good news is, in the U.S. and Canada, it is gospel-centered, doctrinally sound churches that are growing the fastest. Because people that are the nuns, no affiliation, people that are disengaged from church and re-engaging, they want truth. They want, tra- they want transparency. They want authenticity. So praise God. And I also praise God for a whole new generation of pastors that are emerging on the scene that know how to talk to this culture and are committed. And don't ever think that God's not working in our world. Because I've been to conferences and seen thousands of pastors. All of them are about 25 years old. Probably not, but that's what it looks like to me. I'm going like, shouldn't you be in high school? You know, they like the tats, they got the tight t-shirts, you know, they got the hair that goes like that. I'm going like, what? But, these guys are leading large churches forward. So praise God for them. And I hope that we can develop a pipeline here where we're really developing them. But it's all about the Holy Spirit's power in the church. Here's, here's a look back at Acts 2, 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appearance to them. And rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance power of the Holy Spirit was there with them tangibly. And sometimes I wonder, why why are we not seeing this kind of power? I think it's because we don't believe it's there. Or we're not submitted to it. We're afraid of it. But a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house. That's the upper room. Can you imagine? And then Peter gives this sermon. Filled with the Holy Spirit, probably in the temple complex, the Holy Spirit was alive. And the Holy Spirit is alive now. But they were submitted to it. And here's what's cool about what's cool. Can you, can you imagine being there? You've got 50 days ago, you were grieving at the loss of Jesus. And then you were... Exalting his resurrection. Then, with sadness and confusion, you watched him leave and go to his father. And now, all of a sudden, it's like you've been struck like lightning. And there's power. And it must have been 
fantastic because they haven't theologically explained it away yet. They were still actually under the power of the Holy Spirit. This was raw. It was new. It was beautiful. Now, I get it. We're not the early church. I understand that that was a unique place, a unique time where God was introducing himself. But God is still introducing himself. He's still introducing himself to individuals. He's still introducing himself in Latin America, in Africa, in India, and to unreached people groups. There are over 6,000 unreached people groups in the world today. God is introducing himself to those places. So it, was, it must have been beautiful to watch them share, to watch them care, to watch them be empowered by the Spirit, to bring this lifestyle so far above cultural standards, raised above the world that people came flocking 3,000 people and more. And so let's talk about our time now. And let me start with the church in America. Let me ask this question. Are we like the early church? Are we like the early church? Just examine for a minute what churches are like generally, and then think, how do they compare with verses 44 and 45? And I would ask another question. I would say, where is the urgency in the American church today? Where is the sense of harvest? Why have we taken our eyes off of the harvest of souls? It's because we're too busy being judgmental. We're too busy parsing people out and saying, I'm not going to really deal with you because you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that. Jesus went to the this or that, this or that people. That's where he was. The disciples got mad at him. What are you doing there? You guys don't get it. Well-known Christian speaker Beth Moore in a tweet. I've been trying to figure out how to deliver this to you without people throwing hatchets at me, but... She tweeted this, we're meaner than, and then she had an H and an underline, so you can fill that in. We're meaner than H underline and wonder why people don't want to go to heaven with us. It's a pretty profound little tweet there by Beth Moore. So in verses 44 and 45, we see this church dealing distinctly with the needs of others. And it's building momentum to bring the gospel to this Jewish community that they lived in. Matthew Henry is a wonderful commentator. Can't understand half of what he says, but this is pretty clear. They who have a real zeal for God, who are devoted to Jesus Christ, will ask themselves what they can do to help those who are in need. How they can best contribute to the comfort, the elevation, the well-being of those who are left behind in the race, who are defeated in the battle of life. Wow. Where is that? So that's the church in America, but we can't control that, but we can talk about our own church. Let's talk about Ridgewood Church for a few minutes, because this is where we live. The believers had all things in common. They bought, they sold, they shared. And the thing that I really think is amazing is the urgency about this whole thing. They really believed... In the imminent return of Jesus Christ, and they were acting like it. They felt like all of these events had happened so fast that Jesus certainly was coming back soon. 
One of the things I really appreciate about gospel music, and when Wendy makes me watch the Gaither things, you know, what do they call those, homecoming things? She doesn't make me, I love those. Let me rephrase that for all of you. They're all going like, nah, I don't like that pastor anymore. He's criticizing the Gaithers. Nobody criticizes the Gaithers. Listen, the Gaithers are fantastic. Here's what I like about that kind of music, is they're talking about heaven. Talking about hope. They're talking about the return of Jesus. We've lost that. We don't, we, we don't think it's actually going to happen. We believe it theologically. But if we really believe Jesus is coming back, where's the urgency? Where's the passion? Where is the focus on the harvest? I get criticized for preaching this, by the way. Called New Age in some people's minds. All I'm doing is telling you what Jesus told us to do. Go make disciples. Now, that does include preaching the Word. does include teaching Bible study. But my goodness sakes, look what's happening here. And so we can share. We can share together. We can share our material goods. We can share our prayer requests. We can share our lives. I know more than ever in my life, I've got to find a way to get more community around me just to protect me from myself. And so we can share everything together. And we can intentionally develop leaders. We can mentor people. We can jump on board and say, you know what? This is going to be my church. I'm done church hopping. And I believe that God has called me here to serve. And here's what one of the bloggers said this week, Kerry Nywolf. He said, just remember one thing. He said, you don't attend church. You are the church. Thank you. There's Kerry. Kerry's here. Thank you, Kerry, for that. No, it's not Kerry Nywolf. He lives in Canada. Good deal. So. Why have we lost this when it's there in front of us? We can do this. Now, the other thing that Bridgewood can do, aside from experience commonality, the second thing we can do is we can take care of our own. We can take care of our own by encouraging each other and supporting each other and looking around and saying, is there someone that I know in my sphere of influence that's struggling? A word of encouragement. A text saying, hey, look, look like you're struggling this morning. Can I help? Can I pray for you? Financially, taking care of our own. Coming to the pastoral staff. If you see somebody that's in financial need, come and tell us. That's why we have the Benevolent Fund. And you have done a marvelous job with the Benevolent Fund. And I want to make sure I got this number right, but we've spent something like twenty dollars or $3,000 this year helping people through your generosity. And we can do that here in our community as well. And I think one of the real signs of a mature community is when we are actually sharing our needs with each other in, in a trust that we're going to be cared for and not attacked when we share them. And I long for a day when we can sit in men's Bible studies or, you know, I can't, I don't know, women, you're going to have to talk about your own Bible studies. I don't know what goes on there, but I know in men's Bible studies, there's the real fear of going deep into our deepest recesses of our heart and our soul because we feel like if we do, no one's going to talk to us. No one's going to love us. They're going to think we're just not good enough. Community takes care of its own. We've got to get to that place of trust, and I think we're moving in that direction. And then we have to understand that Ridgewood Church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still alive and well. And though we have to be certainly discerning about our future and one in our future. That's why I want you to come to the town hall. We're going to talk about future. And we have to be together on that. But at the same time, we have to understand that we have no human feeling. 
If God wants Ridgewood to go out and collect the harvest of souls, then he will allow us to go out and collect the harvest of souls. Because he doesn't have limits on finances. He doesn't have a limit on dreams. He doesn't have a limit to how many people we can bring into the kingdom. We put those limits on God. You say, well, you're talking really like you know one of those big church pastors or one of those guys in the prosperity gospel. No. I'm talking about understanding the power of God that's amongst us right now in the form of the Holy Spirit. We have to remember that. Now let's talk about you. This is the fun part. Let's talk about your life. Okay? What can we do in our lives to be a part of this mission? First, I want you to know that your fellow believers need you. You're needed here. That you're, you, 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 you don't come and just sit in the shadows. We need you, and when you're not here, we miss you. Because you bring your spiritual gifts to the table. You bring your personality. You bring all the things you're good at. I don't know what you're good at. Maybe you're good with numbers, or you're good with shopping. You're good with strategizing. Whatever. Bring your talents, things you like to do to the table. And we're going to tell how you can do that in just a minute. But... Man, like we need you. You're not just somebody who sits in the back row. And then I want you to know that you can be blessed through this. This is an amazing truth. You can receive a blessing. In John 12, 26, Jesus promises to honor the one who serves me. And so if you're willing to cash it all in, if you're willing to put it all in the pot, if you're willing to say, I'm, I'm totally sold out for Christ, I'm in, then God will bless you. But it may not be financially. It may not even be temporally. Because spiritual warfare is a real thing. People die for their faith. Again, verses 44 and 45. Now that we've talked about it, here it is again in context. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many had need. The church was on fire. And it can be on fire again. And there's a revival that needs to happen. It's happening in some places in the world. There's no reason why we can't help that happen. And here's that community impact statement that we always feature. Make Jesus known through community impact. That's a huge thing for you to be a part of. You know, bring a friend to T.J. Harris. You think that's a small thing, but that's a, that's a huge thing. Because he's going to give the gospel. You know, get baptized if you haven't yet, so you bring your friends so they can watch you get baptized. Because when you're being baptized, you're giving a testimony of the gospel. That Jesus died for sin, and that he paid the penalty for sin, and he rose again, and you're rising again into a new life. Baptism is a testimony. But there are also many ways that you can plug in and volunteer here at Ridgewood Church. 